This podcast is produced by Visionary Studios. I'm Mitchell Rail. And I'm Wade Clausen. And welcome back to Let's Unpack That. Today we are joined by Shay Durazo. Shay, welcome to Let's Unpack That. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm amazing. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Great. Great. It's great to be here. It's our summer finale. We're so great to be going out with a bang with the one and only Shay Durazo. So Shay, for those who may not know who you are, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh my gosh. Well, my name is Shay Durazo. I'm 22. I grew up in Orange County, now live in Los Angeles. And as of late, I am a full-time TikToker which is still so weird to say, but that is my profession. Went to UCLA, graduated in four years, and then decided to be a TikToker. So (laughs) what did you major in? I was a double major in dance and political science at UCLA. And I use both of those degrees to their fullest potential every day. (laughs) You majored in dance and political science. Obviously, dance is a big part of your life. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into that and what made you fall in love with that art form? Yes. Oh, it's kind of a fun story. I started, obviously, like very theatrical child. I loved puppets. I loved costumes. And I think that translated really well into musical theater. So I was very much a theater kid when I was younger and I was lacking in the dance area of musical theater. So my mom put me in jazz classes and I kind of just immediately fell in love with it. And from 11 on, I was like an intense dancer, like competition dancer, uh, high school dance team. And then it's eventually what I wanted to go to school for when I was thinking about colleges. And you moved to Utah, right? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my gosh, such a fun adventure leaving California. I always said like when I was applying for schools, I was like, I could never leave California. And then the first professional dance job that I got offered happened to be in Utah and I took it. I was so excited to go dance and I was unable to finish that contract. It's tough being a dancer out there. Oh my gosh, (laughs) they're they're dancing in like 102 degree weather nonstop. I was like- No AC, just 102 degrees. No AC, you're, yeah, it was was crazy. You had like 50 pound costumes on. They're still there. Everyone else is still dancing until October. I wish them so much love and, and prosperity, but I could no longer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back a little bit. You said you could never leave California. So you grew up there. Do you mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there as a gay individual and how you kind of came in to being the confident person that you are today? If you're not from California, it's like, oh, it's so open and great. And everyone is an open mind, eats avocado toast. And I grew up in the one area of California that is not like that. Like, <laughs> I grew up in Huntington Beach, California. So if you remember when like Trump was ending his presidency, where like all those crazy rallies were, that's where I grew up. And that's where I went to high school and middle school and all that stuff. But like you're kind of sheltered from a lot of the like issues in the world. So I, we call it the Orange County bubble. And that's where I grew up and came out. I came out when I was 11 years old in this very conservative beach town via Ask FM. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, I like asked myself, are you gay? And then I responded, yes, LOL. <laughs> Dead ass. It's still on Ask FM to this day. Like I'll come, I'll go up and like stock my account. And that's literally like my coming on story. But a lot of like my, you know, queer peers have like grown up repressing who they were until they felt comfortable to come out. I'm kind of the opposite. I was like, everyone else around me is going to have to deal with it. And, you know, that's how I came into my own is just by wearing it out on my sleeve, no matter what people said. So came with its fair share of, you know, backlash and bullying. But I'm still appreciative of that experience to like grow up authentically mm-hmm. and then know who I was by the time I was like 18, 19, 20, as opposed to um, trying to hide that through those years. How did you navigate like coming out? 
into like such a conservative community. How'd you handle that? I think the hardest part was definitely getting into high school. Right after I came out, I kind of gained a lot of weight. Like I wasn't feeling super confident in myself and I just kind of became the joke. And I think of instead of just like feeling really bad about that and like having to deal with the teasing, the name calling, like the F slurs, obviously all that stuff. I just kind of embraced it and took that to the next level. and was like, if I'm going to be the joke, I'm going to be the fullest joke that I could possibly be <laughs> and just make a fool of myself. I ran for like ASB class president and did this whole like campaign. I was like, we need more gay at Huntington Beach. And, like, <laughs> the only boy on the dance team. Like I just took it to like the next level. I always say that translated so well into social media because I feel like I stood out, but I embraced standing out in such a unique way against it everyone else and everyone kind of like knew oh that's Shay he's the gay one from Huntington and (laughs) and I just ran with it (laughs) how do you feel like that confidence came to you were you just born with it were you always just confident and thriving or was it something you had to work towards I think it's something that I had to work towards and I think it came out of a lot of insecurity I'm the oldest of four siblings in my family so the eyes are always kind of on me anyways and I took a lot of that pressure and insecurity and just kind of used it to boost myself up instead of you know crack under the pressure. I definitely have a level of delusion and like I can convince myself that I am doing exactly what I need to be doing at all times. And that's led into a lot of confidence. I st- I've learned humility, but in high school, I was just like, you can't tell me that I'm not serving right now. Like I am giving it to everyone. <laughs> when did this social media aspect of your life come in? When did you start being active online? From the beginning, I loved Instagram. I was one of those like point and shoot middle schoolers that would post every ounce of their life on feed. I think like when I got to high school, I had to delete like 4,000 pictures because it was that bad. I think when it translated more into like where it is for me now, as this is kind of my everyday and my my job was probably right when quarantine started. That's when we had the switch. It runs in the family too. I don't, okay, a lot of people don't know this. My cousin is Brent Rivera. He is a very successful YouTube Viner TikToker. He has like 20 million on all platforms. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I did little projects with him that he would post, especially them too. They had a very successful series on his account. And that translated into just a lot of traffic on our accounts. And we didn't really know how to use that traffic until quarantine. And I think even before we knew what TikTok was, we knew that you could have a career in social media because we've watched our cousin do it. You know, that helped a lot too with the parents when I graduated college and they're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm going to do social media. Like they they kind of already got it (laughs) because they've seen it happen in our family before. So I think that helped a lot with the, with the transition. But yeah, social media has always been a part of my life. Has there been any parts of social media that have ever like negatively impacted you or if you've struggled with? Oh my God, totally. I mean, once I was unapologetically myself online, as much as I was in person, like the comments just started flooding in. And instead of like looking at a comment and being like, wow, I should like, I should listen to this comment. I should really go kill myself. I would just like laugh with my friends. We'd be like, this is so funny that people that don't know me at all feel Mm -hmm. the need to comment on this. Or people that do know me in school, like, oh, you're going to comment on this and then I'll go see you in in science tomorrow. Like, pull up, girl. What's going on? (laughs) So... We, we learned at a really young age to just kind of laugh it off. And it's not like I was only dealing with hate comments online. Like, it was happening in person, too. So I think it kind of all encompasses that notion of, like, as Jinx Monsoon says, water off a duck's back. Let people say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. And carry yourself with humility. But, yeah, the, the hate comments were really bad. Some of them are still bad. I get little... I don't know if they're real people or if they're, like, bots. But people will always be, like, the F-slur on all of my accounts. And people still, to this day, will, like, comment on myself and be, like, are you gay? Question mark. I'm, like, what is going on here? <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like that's something that we get too. Like our comments, even on the podcast, people will be like, especially on yeah. reels. That's where they really oh, are. Yeah. Like the reels comments are like, are you guys gay? Or like, is it not clear? Like we're literally talking <laughs> about how we're all like engaging in hookup culture. Like the reels always get sent to the wrong side of Instagram for some reason. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, it is what it is. Like <laughs> I got like 80 hate comments on my literal reel that I posted yesterday of me just working out. And everyone was like, this is so bad. Why are you posting this? And I'm like, I don't even know who you guys are. Like what is going on? <laughs> Big part of social media is body image and like it can really have a negative impact on how people view themselves, what they think of themselves, that pressure to look a certain way, act a certain way and be so image obsessed. Mm -hmm. How have you kind of navigated that culture and that standard and kind of figured out how you can meet those standards, but without having too much of a negative impact on yourself. It's something that I struggled with before social media, I think too. I think in the gay community, that's also a really big thing, like body image being, you know, super fit all the time and that kind of stuff. But also being a dancer in the dance community, that's really something that's touched upon. And I never fit that mold ever. I was 5'2", my freshman year of high school, like 205 pounds, super chunky kid. And, you, you know, you grow up where dancers are taught that you need to be, you know, so tiny and, and tall and all the things that I weren't. And then once I came out looking at the things you see online, the uh, images of these male models and speedos and stuff, and you're like, that will never be me. So I think that's something that I really struggled with in high school getting into college. And then social media, I think, just amplified that for me. There was a time in high school where I wasn't eating enough, that kind of stuff. So I would say that I, I went to like not good ways of trying to fit that standard. That was really tough. And then I think recently, now that I'm on the flip side of it, and people are looking up to me like younger, you know, LGBTQ youth are looking up to me, trying to be a good role model for them and actually a good role, role model for myself and get healthy the right way. That's something that I've really been looking into these last couple of years and passionate about. And like, how do I not enforce a hard like body standard or an unachievable, you know, goal for my followers, um, but also teach them like what I do to stay healthy and and how you can do that too. I think that's kind of how yeah. I've dealt with it. Yeah. What was kind of your first steps in getting fit and doing it in the healthy way? Gosh, I've always fluctuated, but I never worked out. I was like, I dance. I'm good. I just, you know, and <laughs> it's just for some people dance is enough. For me, it was not when I knew I wanted to like put a really big emphasis on being healthy, not just being like skinny or fit. Um, I started going on runs every day and they were less about cardio and like how my body's going to feel but more about how my mental is going to feel. And I think that really translated into the whole entire like okay, now I can go on a run today. Okay, maybe I'll go to like a Barry's class. Maybe I'll lift some weights. But it was it all stemmed from like wanting to be from like a therapeutic place and like know that I was doing something for my body every day instead of just like, let's go lift in the gym. Like, let's push, <laughs> you know, that was never really something that I was interested in. So I think that's how it started is it should be for yourself. And that's what I'm trying to preach now with my tutorials on fitness. I'm like so unprofessional. I do not know what I'm doing at all, but I just do what feels good for my mind and for my body. And that's what I'm trying to show everyone. So you talk about um, like body standards and all that. How are the body standards in like dance and stuff? Is there a harder pressure to be skinny? I know that there are a lot of dancers coming out now that are just like, I don't care like what I look like. I just am being me. Totally. I think that's something that was never allowed until recently in the dance community. Um, and I think it's changing a lot actually with TikTok and seeing who like which dancers are getting appreciated and which dancers are working now in the industry as opposed to maybe 10 years ago when those dancers wouldn't even be let into like an audition room. The body standard for dancers like when I started dancing was like you need to be 5'10", you need to weigh 120 pounds, you need, like we want to see every single muscle when you extend your arm 
And now I think that the aesthetic of what a dancer is has changed a lot. And I think we have social media and artists like Lizzo who only hire queer or black or bigger sized dancers. It changes the entire aesthetic of what is like allowed in the dance space. And I think that's allowed a lot of people to discover dance and see themselves in the art form. And it's definitely opened so many doors for, you know, more inclusivity in the community. Is there any dream projects you have dance wise? Like obviously you have kind of picked more of the influencer route, but if you could really have that once in a lifetime dance opportunity, what would that be? Oh my God. I don't know. I just did the musical theater one and like that was so fun and interesting. So like Broadway would be something that I would love to do at some point. I'm doing another musical theater show actually, but it's in LA this time. So it's going to be more manageable. Yeah. I love musical theater dance because it's fun to perform and it's fun to watch. Some of my friends dance for Katy Perry and that looks really fun. Like dancing for like a big pop diva icon, that would be really fun too. If I could tour with Ariana Grande, I think I would die and go to heaven. Like that would be <laughs> That's my end game. Yeah, screw Broadway, screw everything else. It's Ariana Grande. <laughs> you did musicals. Do you sing as well or do you just dance? You could call it singing. You could. <laughs> I would say I'm a dancer first and I can hit a note, but <laughs> I would never go for like a lead role in a show. I would always want to be a dancer. Would you ever consider getting into acting? Yes. I think I've acted for a lot of my life, like in my real life. I code switch for like who you're with. With my family, I couldn't be like, you know, so I was like acting like I'm just like this much gay, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Acting for me is something that's really difficult because I feel like I've worked so hard to find an authentic version of myself, like growing up in what's accepted, what's not. So I think acting would be really hard for me, but it's something that I'd be curious about. I'd still want to act as like a queer individual. I don't think I'd want to be like... I'll play the head quarterback. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe you could be like the gay head quarterback. I mean, I could see like the Netflix original series, right? Like the, I could see that. Is Riverdale casting? Like, yes. I'm ready. Oh. <laughs> I think you're above Riverdale. I think you can yeah, do better yeah. than Riverdale. You flatter me, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Riverdale on TikTok. She's like flying in midair. I'm like, what is going on these they days They have on like Riverdale? superpowers like, now. Like, the writers How? are bored. But you just were kind of saying that like when you're in different groups, you change who you are, you change like your mask, you may ask a little different. What is the real Shay like? Like the person who isn't being put through a filter? I think confidently now I can say this is the real Shay. Like when I'm in an, in an environment that I'm comfortable with, um, you know, in queer spaces, that's when you really get to see the real Shay. Okay. Um, I really just don't have that like second thing in my head where I'm like, Ooh, is that too much? Was that too much for these people? Like, I don't know if they can handle all that. So yeah, I still think there's a little bit of that in my everyday, even on TikTok. My audience is predominantly like 10 to 15 year old girls. And for a lot of them, they haven't been exposed to like LGBTQ, you know, lifestyle videos or like dancing, even with my little sister. I still have that in the back of my head. Um, so my videos, I don't think I come through as authentically as I'm coming through right now with you guys just talking. Um, yeah. Also, was not comfortable in queer spaces until about three years ago. Like I was terrified of gay people and I thought they all hated me. True story. Living in like West Hollywood. I'm like, I don't know if I could, you guys are so Gay people are, I think it's like very intimidating like I have visited West Hollywood last year and it's like I definitely know what you mean there is like a certain vibe in the air I feel like everybody there is they're decently attractive but they all have like a weird vibe to them it's kind of hard to figure out how do you interact with it the mean WeHo gays the the evil gays of WeHo there is people that are nice but like it's probably very rarely fully genuine kindness they're probably trying to social climb or something like that how have mm -hmm. you kind of navigated dealing with those people and like weeding out who is real and who isn't it's not the easiest task, especially when I went through during COVID. Um, like that's kind of when my introduction to West Hollywood was during 
the shutdown. I first showed face at like the WeHo bar scene. Like I didn't have like a ton of friends and then kind of got the vibe. It was like, oh, those are the like hot mean gays that don't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And then like maybe a month down the line, they're all my great friends and we're having like the craziest summer of our life. I think it just took a second for me to like say hi and like they're just people too. Like they're going through the same thing that I'm going through, if not more than everyone else that I've interacted with in my whole life. So I think just having that initial conversation and catalyst and then realizing like, oh, we're all here for a good time. Let's do it. Yeah, that really helped. And a lot of them are really good friends of mine. Some of them are still crazy and social climbers, <laughs> but a lot of them, a lot of them are still really good friends. And I feel like I do have a good community now in West Hollywood. That's exciting. That's great. Love to hear that. That's They're awesome. not all that bad. <laughs> <laughs> when you were first breaking into the like WeHo scene, I think obviously on the outside, people know it's this mean scene. Also, there's, you know, people that are trying to take advantage of people sexually. What have some of those experiences been like for you? I was freshly single when I entered. So I was kind of just like, yeah. (laughs) 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 And that was eye-opening. You really see like the predatory behavior that kind of happens. And we have like a local bar and we have called Rocco's. And like, you can like be literally peeing at the urinal and someone's going to like come up and like grope your ass and something. And like, that was something that was really like jarring to me. But unfortunately, I think as like, I spent more time in that environment, it's something that you kind of get accustomed and used to. And I hate that I even have to like, say that but like that's kind of the experience I feel like for a lot of gay people in these kind of like queer spaces where you don't have really control over like who's there it's a very interesting and sometimes really scary environment would you say that people in these environments treat you differently because of your platform yes and no there's two types of responses there's the people who genuinely there might be three there's the people who genuinely like don't know me and are just like like hey like i want to be really nice there's the people who pretend like they don't know me and then like you realize like three seconds later when they're like do you want to post an instagram story and you're like that was really weird. And then people who like shamelessly are like, this is so cool that you do this. I'm really interested in this as well. I'd love to hear more. The first or the third are my favorite types of encounters when you're going through these spaces. A lot of people do it too in LA. Like it's really, I am not the only like person yeah. in these bars that yeah, has yeah. followers. I've interacted with so many people who are so successful, if not more successful on social media than me. And, and sometimes I'm the fan, like going up to them and being like, I am so intrigued about what you do and I'd love to hear more. What's your favorite person that you've met? There's so many. I have a really good friend named Noah Teed and he does TikTok and he's adorable and so sweet. Also met Frankie Grande, which was really cool. Because <laughs> um, that's like a different level yeah. of like, you know, crazy connections and, and life experience that I was so curious about knowing. Has there been anybody in LA that's been kind of not what you thought they were going to be, maybe kind of superficial? How do you deal with those people? Because I think it's really hard to find authenticity in a place where Mm -hmm. it's all about looks and appearance Mm -hmm. and what your success looks like. It's definitely tricky. I think eventually people show their true colors and their motives, but it doesn't happen at first. It's like, I've met people in LA who I've looked up to. I've looked up to their careers. I've looked up to their personality. And then you meet them and you find out that there's a lot of darkness and hatred, like kind of buried under the surface. And it's not always, you know, you personally, like me going up to someone who I respect and, you know, trying to form a relationship. Maybe that wasn't the issue. Maybe there's something else going on for that individual. And in LA, I've come across it a couple of times where sometimes things that you don't really do or like, and like purposely do get taken out on you in this, in the scene or whatever. Um, And that stuff, it's really difficult to deal with. I feel like I put a lot of my, you know, self worth or like how how well I'm doing in life on like other people's interactions with me. So having a negative interaction with someone that you respect is 
super difficult, but you know, you look at the people who love you and then you're, you're all good. <laughs> How do you process being let down like that? How do you kind of pick yourself back up? Girl, I love to talk some shit. So that's how I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, wow. They really did that to me. I, well, I heard this, this about that. <laughs> Which I don't preach as advice. Like if, if I was going to write a self-help book, I wouldn't say that talking bad about people who are mean to you is the best way to cope. But that's what I do. Yeah, definitely having like those close people in your life that like you can rely on to have those conversations with and like really just like be open with, I think is like so important. You kind of did touch on this before, but like how did you find that close knit group of friends? Like mm -hmm. how did you find real meaningful people who weren't, you know, coming to you for, with malicious intent or, you know, trying to take, take advantage yeah. of you, but actually were genuine and real. It's taken years, um, like years. I think I will always have those like original hometown connections because I had years to form those and years for friends to weave in and out of my life and then kind of solidify, okay, these are my people here. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of like the same thing in LA. Um, like you go to school, you have to make new friends. This is your new home. It's taken, I think a good two years for me to now confidently say like, I have great people in my life and, and I know who's there for me and who's not. What was really eye-opening is when I left to Utah, it was the people who still were talking to me because when I wasn't in LA anymore. Um, and I was gone for three months and I really learned a lot. I got a lot of perspective on who, who in LA was still there for me. I can totally relate to that. Semester COVID hit. I studied abroad on a program called Semester at Sea. Like Sweet Life on Deck, but real. So fun. Come on, Zach and Cody. <laughs> but I was on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean for three months and had like no, like barely any connection. Like you could only do like email. And so like the people who wouldn't, I was like, oh shit. Like it was kind of like an eye-opening experience to be like, okay, these people are not real friends. And it's like, it's totally. tricky to process that. But like, once you learn that, it's like, you're so much better as a person to go forward in life. And like, you find what you deserve and the people you deserve. You are quite literally Debbie Ryan. She was from Wisconsin. <laughs> she was. What? <laughs> Debbie Ryan was from- No, like I think her character. Her oh, character, yes. Yeah, her character. They're always like, she's a hick or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, Shay, if you ever come to Wisconsin, I promise it's not as cliche as it probably seems. Upper Wisconsin is. Upper Wisconsin is, but like the Milwaukee area, it's more of a city vibe to it. So it's, it's normal. You're selling me on Wisconsin. I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive a little bit into the influencer scene. Mm -hmm. So you are everywhere. I had texted you a few weeks ago and I was like, Shay, I've literally seen this video of you, grad like the graduation video. I'm on the grab reel. I've oh. literally seen it like 10 trillion times. I swear sometimes I see it like four times a day and I'm like, this video haunts me. I got it this morning on my own account. I'm like, what, what is happening? Like, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about like what your current workday is like as an influencer. I'm still learning that actually. I just took the leap to full time, which is the scariest thing I've ever done. Like I, you know, like I said, was in school. So like you're always like, okay, school, then career. Like, and you go to work and you work your way up and blah, 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 blah. I've never been able to like set my own hours nor my own deadlines and like communicate with brands, communicate with social media platforms. So I'm still very much learning before we literally filmed this today. I was looking at my calendar for the next six months and I'm like, this is chaos. Like this is so crazy. And in order for me to stay on top of it, like I'm starting to schedule out like, okay, Monday, I'm going to film Tuesday. I'm going to edit. Wednesday, I'm going to post X, Y, and all of this kind of stuff. So I think I'm still learning a lot about like the organizational side of what my workday looks like. But it's very different from the beginning of quarantine when I would like do this and then do the whoa. And I'd be like, oh, work's <laughs> over for the day. Like it's, <laughs> it's translated into something that's so much bigger than that and has so much potential. Um, 
you know, be a, be a real job. So something that I'm learning, but it's, it's crazy. Do you like schedule all of your content? Or are you posting all of that manually? I, I think I post all that manually because I'm kind of like a last minuter. I'll literally get an email that's like, hey, your your content needs to be up by 12 p.m. today. And it's like, great, because I haven't filmed that yet. So um, give me like three seconds to film, edit, and post that. I'm starting to schedule. I'm starting to schedule. <laughs> Is it all you that's communicating with the brands and everything? Or do you have like an external team or an assistant that is helping you? Oh my God, I would literally murder someone for an assistant. That would be lovely. Um, no, it's a little bit of both. I have a management team. It's called Digital Brand Architects. And I just signed with them last year. And they handle basically all of the communication from me as, a, as an influencer like brand with other brands and see where those potential clients collaborations could fall into place. They also handle pretty much all of my like social media connections. So like my correspondence with YouTube as a platform, they will, they will go through them. The reason I signed with them is I really loved their mission statement of letting creators still create as much as it is a job to create. It's not our job to create for the purpose of making partnerships. Our job is to authentically put out content that we really enjoy doing, things that we want to share with the world. And their job is to see what am I already doing and where can we expand that and work with a brand that would even enhance what I'm already doing. Do you have a say? Obviously, I, mean, I would hope in the brands that you're working with, like how do you kind of determine which brands you do and don't want to work with? It's the work's kind of already done for me. DBA knows who I work with and who I will not work with. It's like you fill out a whole sheet of like brands that you use every day down to like your toothpaste, down to your laundry detergent. Like they know the brands that I'm using and that's the brands that they kind of like go after when we're looking to collaborate. So I haven't really had to turn down anything. For the most part, they already kind of know what direction my content and my mission statement is going in. And those are the brands that we go after and vice versa. Those are the brands that contact them, you know, interested to work. And I think for like brand deals, um, a lot of people think that influencers are getting paid like this huge amount of money. Can you tell us like, is it a big chunk of money for each brand deal or is it more like $100 a post or 200 I think it fully depends on, you know, A, the brand you're working with and B, the amount of work that you're doing. Um, I've done posts that are like, post a TikTok to this audio and we'll pay you X amount of money. And it's like, okay, great. And there's posts where it's like, you need to do three reels, four stories, like X, Y, and Z. It's a lot more thought out. You need to link it out. You need to like actually, you know, look on how you're going to incorporate this into your everyday content. You don't want everything to seem like a brand deal. You want to make it feel organic. Those are the ones that are a little bit more curated. I wish I could be like, yes, I have a flat rate to work with me, but that's just not, <laughs> that's not true. I think something that has happened in the influencer community as a whole is brands are not just going to pay an influencer to slap their name on something and post it. It's much more about that partnership. You want to trust the influencer that you hire. You know that they know their audience best. So when you're hiring on an influencer to promote your product, you want that to be a partnership, not just a promotion. How do you make sure that your voice stays authentic? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think I'm still dealing with it. I'll get notes from my manager um, all the time. It's like... That one just kind of felt like a brand deal. Like you need to really, you know, hone in on why you're doing this deal. Um, specifically, I just did one with Amazon. It was really exciting for Pride, like curating a Pride outfit. And I think my first thought was to be like, this is how you do it. You go on Amazon and you buy it. Both of us were like, what, what is this? You need to go back. And I was like, okay, when I'm shopping for a look for Pride, where do I start as, as a gay individual? Where does that identity come from and what would be my first thing that I type into that Amazon bar because I want to express who I am as a gay person. And then we reworked it kind of and that really, it changes the whole attitude of the collaboration with Amazon. Now it's like, 
Shay as a gay individual for pride is recommending that you do X, Y, and Z to show who you are as an individual, express yourself. And if you want, you can do it through Amazon. I think that's really has helped me keep an authentic voice when I'm looking at those brand partnerships. When posting like ads or promoted stuff, do you ever like think about putting too many ads out there or putting too little? Yeah, oversaturation is a real thing. And I'm feeling it too on my accounts. Like it's like, oh my gosh, everything's a brand deal or everything has a product in it. And a way that I'm trying to deal with that and work with that as someone who's now going to be full-time and going to be posting content weekly, um, daily even, is to genuinely like instead of like gatekeeping every product that I use in my real life I'm just fully doing that whether it's a brand deal or not and I think that's becoming more normalized in the community anyways where people are like this is not sponsored but this is what I use every day and then I think when those opportunities come when you do have a sponsorship it's like well he shows us what products he use every day so he's just doing it again and I think that's how I'm trying to to combat where everything feels so branded. I mean, I feel it in my real life. Like when I went to VidCon, I walked into like the influencer hub and it's like money, money, money. This is how you monetize. This is how you monetize. And it's so overwhelming. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm dancing online for fun. I don't care about selling stuff all the time. Um, And I think as a consumer, like when I scroll through TikTok, I don't want to see advertisements the whole time either. So I think it's balancing that from the creative side and trying to make it, you know, Just, I'm just telling you what I use. How have you stayed creative and kind of keep yourself from falling into like creator burnout? I am constantly in creative burnout. And I feel like the catalyst of my social media career was relying on a bit that worked really, really well with me and my sister. Like, you know, like just being like, oh, this is the bit. Like people eat this up. So let's just put a camera here and dance and call it a day. And so you're not really being creative in that sense. You're just kind of doing what works. And now that I don't have any other excuses of the, oh, I have class tomorrow or, oh, I have to go work. Like I have to go to my job today. I think it's allowing me to finally unlock what else is there for, you know, Shay the creative and Shay the individual and not just Shay the gimmick, like do what's going to work on social media because this is how you grow on social media. I just started a couple new things on my TikTok account. Right now I'm doing this bit where I'm curious about styling my other sister. She is going off to college in New York and needs a lot of help. (laughs) So I'm being the gay big brother for her and I'm helping her with, you know, helping like her dorm ideas, what she's going to wear in school. That's allowed me to be creative in in that sense. I've started a lifestyle series called Shay's Gay Adventure, but it's just kind of like a daily vlog and it's like, this is what I do every day. And that's been really fun for me and to post. And lastly, I just filmed this one today. (laughs) I don't have a skincare routine, which is like (gasps) jarring to a lot of people. (laughs) So I'm trying every single skincare product that my followers recommend. Yeah, those are just like little like categories that help me stay creative with while still like maintaining like a series based form of content. And I think that's helped me stay both consistent and creative. So it's it's really clear. This is like you really are building like a brand here mm-hmm. and like through your content, you are further communicating that brand voice. How do you build a brand that reflects who you are, but also reaches that target audience or your core followers of like young females? It's something that I just figured out. And I think I figured it out last week because we I kind of had this conversation. I went into my management office and it was like, okay, what are you going to do? Like you have this huge following. People are loving what you're doing. You need to figure out how to make it about you. It's been about other people for so long. What is your brand? And I think 
it's very authentic to who I am in my family life. I am the gay big brother. And my goal with all of these efforts and series and posting is to become the internet's gay big brother that they never had um, and be able to give advice to my younger female followers or my younger queer followers and be that voice of, of fashion, lifestyle, fitness, beauty, all that kind of stuff. And just give like my lived experiences on all of those topics as a gay individual and, and give it to them in kind of a brotherly way. So that's the goal. That's as Shay as a brand. That's where we're heading with it. I love that. Right? I'm just your gay big brother. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever want to grow up your audience more and do more like adult content? Or do you kind of want to stay focused with that younger audience? I go back and forth. It's something that I really, really struggle with because so many huge LGBTQ plus creators that I look up to and are friends with. Like I love Chrissy, if you know who that is and Griffin Maxwell Brooks. I'm obsessed with them. Um, we just went out a couple months ago and I saw Chrissy at VidCon. So like there are people who are in the community that I love to look up to and, and love their content, but it is for a more mature audience. You know, um, I don't curse in my videos like really at all, all that kind of stuff. So I think for me, as with my platform and with my audience, I want to grow up with them with that kind of content. I kind of like the, the like, I'm older. That's so fun. I love that dynamic. I think it's so cool to have like that big brother feel. I think a lot of times people don't have that. And it's cool that you're able to mm -hmm. kind of like be that for people through that like parasocial relationship dynamic. That's that's great. Totally. Yeah, I think it's a niche that isn't really filled yet in the market, too, especially for like a lot of like cis, hetero, younger women, like my sister, to be able to see an older gay man and see them in like a, a brotherly way. I think that can do so much for the LGBTQ community and like acceptance wise without explicitly doing it. Yeah, I think that's so important. Something that we've tried to do with this podcast a little bit too, is I feel like a lot of times like straight females kind of tokenize the gay community mm. and like, oh, I love mm. their little hookup stories. Like I love Hard. their little personality. <laughs> like I love their little like, yeah, they just love that. Like, yeah, but they like, exactly, exactly. Like they just want to go to a drag show and like just hear the drama, but they don't actually really care about the struggles that go along with being gay. So it's, it's cool to be able to do that. I commend you for doing that. I hope it's successful. Cause that's really yeah. great and needed, I think in the community. I guess to kind of close here like if you were to give advice to a young gay individual maybe a younger version of yourself who is struggling with their sexuality or with you know hookup culture or the over sexualization in the gay community what would you tell them oh my gosh where do we start <laughs> <laughs> it's tough like i'll fully be open about it i lost my virginity on grinder one random night when i was 17 i was like mm, it's time <laughs> and i think i felt like a lot of that pressure from how hypersexualized the gay community is i would say back to myself like you feel so much pressure and a rush to like hop into that up culture so quickly and like now you found out who you are now you know your sexuality go for it because all your friends have been doing it for years now and i think that there's something to be said about you don't need to be like abstinent or like wait but i think it's so important for for you to like have your own journey and your own experience without comparing to the people you know that are older than you in the community or you know that you look up to in the community you can look up to them but you don't have to you know rush yourself into any situations that you're not comfortable with yet or change yourself to be more like them. I think everything is really, truly about your own journey and how you deal with those experiences. Well, Shay, thanks so much for joining us today. Do you want to give everyone your socials in case they aren't following you already? Yes, all of my socials are Shay Durazo on every single platform. I was lucky enough to get all those usernames. Um, <laughs> my name's pretty unique, so it wasn't too hard. But yeah, Shay Durazo on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and YouTube. Um, you're gonna be seeing a lot more of me this year, like I said. 
content's rolling out like a crazy person. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. Well, thanks so much, Shay. I also want to give a quick thank you to everyone who has been a guest this season. Let's unpack that. Mitchell Linvell, Gavin Simon, Joey Stoll, Alex Ryan, Josh Kansas, Peyton Sherry, Matthew Hannafin, Parker Jawani, Ryan Kinkler, Ani K. Thundercat, Isaac Tortorella, Matthew Motto, Randall Porter, and Shay Durazo. Thank you guys so much for joining us this season. Follow us on Instagram at UnpackedTHT and on TikTok at UnpackedThatPod. I'm Mitchell Rail. I'm Wade Clawson. And we'll see you guys on September 22nd. See you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.